Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. There's an old trick used on school children to prove that there is no God. The children are told to bow their heads and close their eyes and pray for a piece of candy. They then open their eyes to no candy and are told by the teacher no candy means no God. Lead teacher Randy Pope sets up target number three, God's provision, with part four of Ready, Aim, Pray, which covers Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Thank you for joining us today. Some of you I know are new every week, and we welcome you. We're in a series on the Lord's Prayer, familiar territory for many. Most people, if I were to ask you, could you say the Lord's Prayer? Many, many would say, I probably could get it close. I get most of it at least. I'm very familiar with it. But I think over the last several weeks, in many respects, though it's a familiar prayer, much of the prayer is uncharted territory for us. And I say that because many of us had never really thought about spending time preparing to pray until this series. And I know it's made a difference for some of you. You've commented. Many of us have not really known what to do with the portion of the prayer, hallowed be thy name. What does it mean for God's name to be hallowed? How do you pray for that? Other than just saying the little sentence, how do you really pray? Could you spend five or ten minutes possibly praying in that arena? Well, once we began to delve into what it means, we go, oh, boy, there's a lot to pray about there. When we came to God's kingdom, I mentioned last week, I do believe what we taught probably the vast, vast, vast majority of the Christian world has never really considered or thought about. And so when we come to pray about the kingdom of God, we don't really know how to pray because we don't understand the kingdom. But we've walked through that arena. This week we come to what would seem to be more familiar territory because most of our prayers have been spent in this single arena, what we call God's provision. This is a territory that we've, we've prayed a lot about God's provision. God, would you? God, please. Uh, this is what I'd like and so forth and so on. And there are numerous scriptures that talk about prayer and, and they, they, they seem so carte blanche. They just seem to say, look, you ask and I will do it. It seems to be that way. So many of us have gone into prayer and we've prayed and many of us say, well, I don't see many answers to these prayers. Is it really good that I continue to pray? And we've already addressed why pray, even when prayers aren't answered the way we pray it. But still, we're just a little bit confused about this area of asking for answered prayer. I think particularly when it comes to healing. I'm going to address that specifically. I had not planned to put it in this message, so I'm going to take a couple extra minutes here. But I want to talk about supernatural healing. I think it's something we need to understand. What happens when you or I get cancer? What should our expectation be? And is it true that our faith, if strong enough, we can be healed? A lot of misunderstanding in that arena. Here's what I want you to understand of all things. I want you to understand that when we come to this particular, what we call target of prayer, a platform that we're walking out on, this one being God's provision, we want to explore on this platform a little bit. We want to understand what we're saying. What we need to be thinking as we come to this part of prayer is this, Lord, I want to acknowledge your trustworthiness. I want to acknowledge your trustworthiness, that whatever I'm about to ask you, this, 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 and this, that you are trustworthy that if you choose 
and want to give it to me because it's best, that you're going to give it to me. But you're equally as trustworthy if you don't choose to give it to me because I know then that you know things that I don't know. You understand things I don't understand, and I'm going to trust you with what you choose to do or choose not to do. I'm telling you, folks, if we just get that in your mind and heart as you walk into your times of petition and intercession, petition, asking for things, intercession, praying for other people, if you just come to the point and you can just lock in there and say, Lord, let me now pray, considering acknowledging your trustworthiness. Now, having done that, I would now simply say this. I would want to ask myself five questions. Not that you need to go and have these listed and written down. Maybe it's good to remember them and bring them up from time to time. But I think there are five questions that I found that I think will be very, very helpful. It's like a checklist. And you walk through the checklist when you're saying, I I want to see prayers answered. Well, ask these five questions and help you better understand why you do get answers to prayer or maybe why God is choosing not to answer your prayer. So let's walk through the five checklists just very quickly. Number one, do I realize that God owes me nothing except that which he has promised? Do you realize that? God owes us nothing except what he promises. Somebody could rightfully try to argue, well, God really owes us nothing. And that's true. Originally speaking, God does owe us nothing. But once he promises something, he owes it to deliver because he is faithful and true. So not because we've earned it, merited it, no. He owes us nothing. But once he promises by his grace to do something for us, now he owes it. He will do it. In light of that, we look at the text. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. Notice that it says daily bread. It doesn't say that we're to expect God to provide a week in advance, everything we need next week? No. He says, this is what I'll give you. I will promise to give you your daily bread. Well, what is bread? Well, bread is used to refer to a term that would talk about that which is necessary. For instance, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's saying, I'm all that's necessary for you to find the glory of life that you need. I I really am the one. You take of me, you'll never hunger or thirst. Your real need is being met. Bread represents that which he would know is our true need of life. And he says, I will provide that on a daily basis. You notice he does not promise in Scripture physical health. Nowhere does he promise. I'm going to bring up a text in Isaiah that many are using to claim that God has promised physical healing to anyone who asks. I'm going to show you it's not really a promise, not for that. But he does promise spiritual health. Think about dying. He never promises that we won't die. Never does he promise that. But what he does promise is eternal life. He promises that. God doesn't promise good circumstances. He doesn't promise comfort. He doesn't promise any of those things. What he promises is blessing. And there is a distinction often between those two. 
So the reality is, do I realize that God owes me nothing except that which he has promised? That's the first question I'd want to ask. Once you kind of get there, they, okay, that's right, only what he's promised. That's going to lead us to question number two. Do I realize that every promise God makes carries with it legitimate conditions? There are conditions with the promises that God has made. That's very important to understand. And so when we think about the promises of God, we think about, okay, does he promise, does he promise us food? Does he promise us, what, what does he really promise us? And what he promises, is there a condition that goes with it? In other words, nowhere in Scripture is God, is God endorsing through Scripture irresponsibility. I mentioned last week, food. So, Lord, give me today my daily bread. Do I sit here and wait for food to be delivered somewhere, some way? No, I'm praying for the strength to work and earn and buy and purchase the bread I need to eat. We think about finding a job. You don't just say, Lord, I'm just waiting for a job. No. What you do is you say, Lord, give me the strength to put together a resume, to make it a good resume, and to network with people and call the right folks and try to get the job that I need. Finding a spouse, same way. Oh, I've heard so many young people through the years. You know what? I'm just trusting the Lord for my spouse. I, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to go places to try to meet them, and I'm not going to I'm not going to do all that. You know what? I'm just going to wait on God. If God has somebody for me, he'll show them. And I say, well, enjoy your singleness. You're going to have it a long time. <laughs> you need to be proactively. Now, you don't take it in your own hands and say, I'll do it on my own. Say, Lord, I want you to provide, but you're going to use my responsible actions in order to provide. You think about the promises of God. He promises eternal life. But isn't there a condition don't we have to put faith and trust in Christ as a condition? Absolutely. God promises that he'll give us forgiveness, but there is a requirement. There's a condition, and that is that we're going to find forgiveness. We've got to repent. Or he promises blessing, but there is a condition of obedience. No one can read the Scripture without knowing that. God promises answered prayer, but folks, when he promises answered prayer... It's not without conditions. I'm going to be walking through here quickly three conditions. And I've, I've categorized a number of them under the first condition. But just to make it simple, I'm giving three conditions. But really in the Bible, there's 15 or 16 different promises about answered prayer that have conditions along with it. And we need to understand that none of those should stand alone by themselves. I use this as an illustration. It's like a collage and most people know what a collage is. For young people, maybe not heard the term, a collage would be a picture made up of many different pictures. You could take any one picture, pull it out, and it stands alone as a picture. But if you're making the bigger picture, it requires that picture to be added, and now the bigger picture comes alive. It'd be much like a little boy playing first-time coach-pitched baseball. The kid's never been up before a pitch, always been on a tee until now. Now he's, he's ready to hit the ball. So he gets up, let's say a little lefty here, and he's waiting for the ball to come. First time up to bat, you as the parents are sitting behind him. He's up there ready to, to, to swing, and about the time the coach, a little soft to toss put in front of him, right as he begins to toss, 
The kid looks up at you and grins real big to say, wow, look at me. And about that time, here's strike one. Looks up at you and goes, what happened? What happened? And so you as a parent look at your child and say, son, keep your eye on the ball and you will hit it. True or false? Well, true and false. It's kind of, yeah, I see what you mean here. I don't know. So second pitch. He goes, okay, dad. Okay, mom. (laughs) Strike two. Looks up at you. Ah, ah, ooh, and you go, well, son, keep your eye on the ball. That's assuming all other things happen, like a swing and other things. Then you'll hit the ball. The point is, assuming all other things, this one element, you pull it out and prayers will not be answered. You've got to have this condition met, put it in, and then you get the bigger picture. Well, there are a number of those different promises throughout the Word of God. I want to show you a few of them just to illustrate and to teach at the same time about how we're going to see prayers be answered. Condition number one, it must be offered from a pure heart. And so that would include praying in Jesus' name. We have John 14 text. It says, if you ask anything in my name, then I will do it. It's not just tagging on the name in Jesus' name. It's praying on his behalf through his authority and his power that we get to come before Almighty God to make our request. Or 1 John 3, we have to ask in obedience. 1 John 3, 22, it says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Do you see the condition there of obedience? James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. There's a condition. We've got to ask with correct motives for the glory of God so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. No, that's not how you'd pray. won't see prayers answered that way. So from a pure heart. Number two, I'd suggest it must be in accordance with God's will. Look at the text in 1 John. 1 John 14 and 15, 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, now we're going to have to address that, anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So he hears us when we pray, and if we pray according to his will, he is going to do it. Now here's the question, how do we know the will of God? Now we can determine the will of God in how we should behave in certain regards, by God-given authorities that he's placed in our lives, and we should submit to those authorities and obey, assuming that doesn't contradict the Word of God. But outside that, the only way we're going to know the will of God is what's in the Bible itself. So if I can assume that I know the will of God about the next job, I, I know the will of God about, I don't like to use that word, know, as if it's absolute, Mm-mm. we don't know that. Do we know that God wants to heal us? We may have a sense that he's going to, and we use that as a prompting of our faith. But to know that he is going to heal us, there's no promise to that end. How could we know? Have to be very careful there. The third is related closely, and that is it must be accompanied by faith. We have this interesting text in Matthew 21. 
It says, in all these things, in all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now, I've had, I've had a number of people that I have been sharing my faith with walking through the Gospels, and we come to this text about whatever you ask believing. And I've heard this kind of a story. I can't believe the Bible because of verses like that. What do you mean? Well, I was 12, and my mama had cancer. And they said she would die. But my preacher came by, and when he'd pray, he'd say, he'd say to me, now you believe, because if you ask believing, then your mama will be healed. You just pray. you got to believe. And then I hear the story, and you know what? I came to the point I believed without any doubt. I knew. I was so expectant. I was just waiting for the healing. And she died. God does not keep all of his promises. Well, again, you have to understand it in light of the whole. But what about this whole idea of, of healing? And I'm not just talking about physical healing. I'm talking about emotional healing, all kind of... of uh, mental type of healings. They're, they're all kind of issues in life. So let, let me just insert here a few things about supernatural healing. And maybe this will be our benefit when we're on that bed, perhaps dying, and have that person come by and say, hey, well-intentioned, God wants to heal you. Just pray in faith believing. Pray in faith believing. First of all, James 5, look at the text. And first... 13 and following, it says, if, is anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, he's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. It says, if it's offered in faith, they will be healed. Now, how do we see this text? Well, first, it says, call for the elders. Who are the elders? Elders are the people in the church who are the most mature, who have the call, giftedness and all, to give leadership to word and prayer to the life of the church. These would be the most discerning of all people in the church. It doesn't mean there aren't people who aren't elders that are not very or as much or more so discerning and gifted and so forth, but but because these are a group of people in the church that have come out to the role of prayer and word, call upon them. They should be the mature ones. They can discern well. They should have better faith. Maybe there's a prompting, and they sense, I sense the Lord may be going to answer this prayer the way we're praying, and when they get that, then you pray and pray hard because this may be God using your faith here to bring healing. It says anointing them with oil. That's debatable through history. It could be one or both of the following. Oil is something physical that you can touch and smell. And as it's applied to you, there's the feeling that is going along with the prayer. Just like when we take the table. Last night we took the table here. And when we did, I made the comment about how this is an advantage to our faith because not only do we have the promise, the word, but in this case God ordains that we can actually taste, smell, see, touch, and bringing those physical elements enhances 
the potential of faith. Maybe it's referring to the medicinal value of oils of that day that would be like medicines and saying, use the medicines of the day as well. It says there, if this person has committed sins, then let them confess and they'll be healed. I think what it's suggesting here is that there are sicknesses and illnesses that are related to our own behavior. I'm going to walk through that very quickly. But I think what it's saying here is let those discern who are spiritual and let them examine and talk. Because what we don't want to do is get to this. Okay, I'm sick. Oh, what's the sin? I don't know of any sin. What, maybe there's, oh, i got to find it. I'm sure there's something. We become so introspective. We're all sinful. We're all sinful. But it's suggesting that there may be that behavior that's obvious to those on the outside spiritually discerning and say, look, there's something here you're not dealing with in your life. When it becomes known, you have to deal with it. And in certain illnesses, if it is related to such, confess your sins and you'd be healed. Let me suggest to you four types of sicknesses. And this is what the discerning ability of the elders should be to determine as best we can what we might assume to be, one, a sickness unto death. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a, a bad cancer or something going on, and there's no sense of God's going to heal. We don't know. He may. He can choose to without our faith. But maybe it is a sickness unto death. I know this in Romans 5. It says, and, and uh, death spread to all people. In Hebrews 9, it says it's appointed a man wants to die. Everybody's going to die. So if we say, oh, if you can just get healed and just have faith, you'll be healed. No one would ever die if they were people of real faith. I know this. It's interesting that Elisha fell sick and he died. He was not in sin when he died. In fact, his bones, when they would touch others that were dead at a later time, they would come to life. Wow. He must have been quite a saint. Or you think in terms of Paul in 2 Timothy, and he has this good friend, and he leaves him in Miletus, who, and sick, and, and assumed perhaps was to die. We don't know, but the point is, there are sicknesses unto death. And Paul was a great healer. He saw a lot of healings. Why didn't he heal his friend, his co-worker? Apparently, it wasn't the will of God. There is also a sickness that's unto chastisement, and I was just referring to that a few minutes ago. Uh, it's a sickness that is, comes about because there's sin. Uh, I know in, in 2 Corinthians 11, talking about the table, it says, don't eat and drink with covered up sin in your heart that you're not willing to deal with. If you come onto the table with that kind of situation, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. Some are sick and some have even died, it says in the text. Hmm. So you certainly have numerous stories like that. There's thirdly, a sickness for the glory of God. And these are the ones that you're going to see healings. These last two, you're going to see healings from time to time. One, sickness for the glory of God. Think about Lazarus, friend of Jesus. He dies. But what does Jesus say when everybody thinks he's gone, he's dead, that's it? He says, no, this is a sickness un not a sickness unto death, but for the glory of God. Huh. How about the blind man in John chapter 9? Blind man, they asked and said, well, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? 
said, oh, it wasn't either one. That, it's not related to a specific sin from somebody. Oh, blindness is because we're in a broken world because of sin, yes. But not because of this person, is there? In fact, he goes on to say, neither, but that God's works should be made manifest in him. God said, I plan to heal him. I'm going to use this as a, a glimpse of the glory yet to be revealed so they can see the power and what God can do. You've got Paul himself that had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed, God, take it away from me. Heal me. God didn't do it. And he says, and I found out it was the best thing for me, for my humility of life. I accept it. And then, fourthly, there is a sickness because of demonic presence. This is a challenging area. I'm about to meet next week in Dallas with a group of pastors from churches uh, all over the world. There'll be about 60 of us that meet together. And these are pastors from certain countries where the demonic is showing, showing itself in a way different than we typically would see in the United States. But we should not be lulled to sleep to think it's not here as well. The demonic world has its own way of presenting itself in different ways, different places. But we will hear story after story this week. I've done this for the last few years with these folks. And you'll hear story after story of amazing warfare and demonic presence and deliverance. We've seen deliverance in this church as our elders have come to pray, and the discernment has been, this is because of demonic presence. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, ah, ghostly stuff, I don't buy that. You've heard me say this, I'll say it again. If I told you my personal stories, me being present, and I were to share them with you, you would have to either believe there is real demonic presence in this world or I am a bold-faced liar. There would be no in-between. Oh, it's real. The thing is, we've assumed that, oh, okay, demonic presence can be, I'm sinning because of the demons. No, no, no. Do you know any time in Scripture that there's deliverance, there's always going to be a physical aspect to this thing? And so we think of many of the illnesses that could exist. Yes. But is there evidence? That's why you call the elders. Find out. And we've seen... We've seen demonic release in, in very specific ways in this church, I'm telling you, as they've come before the elders. We have some that are very much better prepared than others, and we'll put them with those elders that are discerning and can and watch what happens. So absolutely, there is a sickness because of the demonic presence. I mentioned a text in Isaiah 53. It's in verse 5, and this has been used by so many well-intentioned Christians coming to the bedside saying, Isaiah 53... He will heal you. It says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And they see that word healed and think, therefore, our, our healing is available and present always. All we have to do is ask. Folks, very, very important to know that this is not a promise to avoid temporal consequences in a fallen world. This is a promise to avoid the eternal consequences of a fallen world. And once we've embraced that, yes, there are those exceptional times where God does heal in a specific way. So should we expect healing today? Absolutely we should. More so, I think, than we do. Number two, can we claim healing no, we cannot claim healing. We can't claim it as ours because of what Jesus did for us. And therefore, now if we're talking about the ultimate healing of heaven, 
Dying, yes, but beyond that, never has that promise been made. How can we claim something that God has not promised? How should we go about getting prayed for? We should call the elders. I hope you would utilize the elder teams at this church. And we have a Saturday half day of prayer and say, I'm needing prayer, not just for physical, but emotional, spiritual, uh, you know, mental, whatever it is. Call for the prayers. Why is there a difference? Good question. Why is there a difference in the New Testament healing and today? Shouldn't I hear many say, whatever happened then should happen today. If we only had the faith they had, let me tell you, that's not true at all. Not true at all. What you have are certain periods where Scripture was given. And each time the Scripture was given, whether it be in the, in the historical book times, if it came in the prophets, if it came in the gospel time with Jesus, or whether it comes in the epistles, you saw a heightening each time as the Scriptures were to be written. You saw a heightening of the miraculous that drew attention to this is the Word of God, and then it, it would cease in the same way. And then it would come up, not to be totally stopped, but it would just, it would decline like this. And then it would come up again in more scriptures. Now, canon or scripture is closed. Though we don't see the heightening any longer, though it still exists. And some expect the heightening, and I think they're, they're not, they're going to be disappointed. And there are people that say, oh, there should be no healing today. Canon's closed. No, there's healing. God gives us those special glimpses. It's just not to be a promise that he will always do so. Important to listen to God. There's a, uh, a man that's gone to be with the Lord a number of years ago that was considered then probably one of the handful of greatest Bible teachers in America. His name was Dr. Manfred Gutsky. Some of you have heard that name. We had the privilege of having Dr. Gutsky preach at our church when we were in our first little facility right before he passed away many years ago. Dr. Gutsky shares the story of them having a child, I think it was a son, who was in the hospital deathly ill and they were afraid they were going to lose their son was in the hospital for a prolonged period of time and so they would switch off at night who would go home and sleep and who would stay with the child there through the evening this was the night that Dr. Gutsky was to be at home and so he left the hospital went to his home and, and he began to pray before he was to go to bed and he ended up praying all night long apparently as he began to pray he prayed the same way oh God you know I'm asking save my child save my child save my child save my child and as he was praying, it hit him that he was really not praying the way he should pray. And so he said, Lord, what he basically did was acknowledge the trustworthiness of God. And he said, God, I want to hear from you. Instead of me tell you what I want you to do, would you tell me what you want to do? Not that he would get an answer, but he asked. And it was during that time he ended up praying all night long, and it was during that prayer time he sensed, he didn't know, but he sensed that the Lord was saying, I'm going to take your child home. I'm going to bring him to be with me. Well, as much as he hated that message, he could embrace it because of the trustworthiness of God. He goes to the hospital the next morning. His wife comes to the door as he's ready to go in. And he said, honey, I've been praying all night. And I think the Lord has spoken. And she stopped him right there on the spot. She said, don't say a word. I prayed last night too. And I'm sure he said the same thing. He wants our son. He's going to take our son home. That son died that day. They had a sense of confidence in God. They trusted him. They acknowledged his trustworthiness. Now, it didn't make 
it a painless event to lose a child. But don't you know that had to be a great comfort to them to know that, you know, God told us beforehand. Not audibly, not infallibly. And therefore so good to know that people around who discern well and get a sense, what is God saying in this? We should be praying that way, God. Would you give me a prompting? And if it's a prompting to be healed, let me ride on that prompting and pray hard, and God will use that for the healing process. So what do you do? Last question I'll ask there on this little uh, list of questions. What do you do when that well-intentioned person comes to your bedside when you've got cancer? You're about to die. And they say, oh, 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 just pray and believe and God will heal you. You know what you do? You just say, I'm not listening. Thank them for their kindness. Let's say, you know what? I don't want to have this conversation. I trust my God for whatever. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I'm not going there. Carol and I have a friend that uh, many years ago passed away as a young couple, young married gal, had a little child. And she was told by those closest to her, you believe, you trust, you believe God will heal, God will heal, God will heal. And God didn't heal. She died. And the husband later said, we never got to prepare for death. We never had a discussion. What would you want, honey, with our little child? Anything you'd like to... They couldn't even go there because in her mind it was, uh-uh, don't go there. Trust God. And she died without being prepared in terms of the family's future. It's so important that we not allow that to push us into places that we don't need to go. So just be mindful of that, okay? Now, having covered that area, and I know that was something probably inserted that took a little extra time we'd want, let me hit these last three questions very, very quickly. Number three. Do I see my request in light of God's mercy, grace, and justice, or only in light of God's mercy and grace? What about the justice portion? Well, God sees our needs in light of all three, meaning that the wages of sin is death. It is pain. It is struggle. It is heartache. It is loss. We deserve the pain and problems of life because we're sinful people. That's when you bring the focus of justice in instead of, God, how come God doesn't do this for me? Why didn't God show up? He should have. He should have. As if there's no justice in what God is doing. Oh, sure, there's mercy and grace, but let's not forget about justice. You see, praying doesn't take away the consequences of our sin. There's still consequences. young gal called me one time, she late at night, and she's, crying and all upset and I said what's the problem she said, I have to confess I I fell morally last night with my boyfriend I'm just I feel so horrible horrible never in my life but I did and so forth and uh, I said well have you prayed for forgiveness have you asked God to forgive oh yes I've asked him to forgive me but do you think he will and I said I know he will if you've asked him to forgive you and you truly are repentant then God has forgiven you and her next word she says oh thank goodness I was afraid I could get pregnant. I said, now we weren't talking about pregnancy. We were talking about forgiveness. One is the sin and the other is the consequence. And there are real consequences. I don't know whether you're going to be pregnant or not or whether you are. Time will tell. But there's, there's no promise that if you're, for, if you're asking forgiveness that there are no consequences. Please know that there are. 
There's justice in the equation as we talk about. Number four, do I see my request in light of my comfort, convenience, and character or only in light of my comfort and convenience? Well, obviously God sees in the light of our character. That's so important to him. He wants us to be like his son Jesus. He wants us to be pure. James 1 talks about considering it joy when you encounter all these trials because they produce character in your life. And certainly if it says in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, would not we also? Absolutely. Lastly, number five, do I see my request in light of the temporal and eternal or only in light of the temporal? We've already commented. Isn't it true that when we die, we are healed? Isn't it true that when we die, sin is eradicated? Now to realize that you know what? There's an eternal side too. Don't look at all of our prayers in light of the temporal only. Know that God sees it in light of the eternal as well. I hope those questions that we've walked through will help you as you discern. What about my prayers? Why aren't they answered? Go back to the conditions. Remember God promises, but there are conditions. And as you walk this week through prayer, I'm going to invite you just step out on that little platform of provision. And before you ever start, say, Lord, I want this prayer to be about acknowledging your trustworthiness. And then I'll make my request. See what happens. I'm going to pray now and just model for us how I might pray on a given morning when I'm praying. But I'll pray with you as we pray about provision. Let's bow. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow now and we, we pray First of all, wanting to acknowledge, clearly acknowledge your trustworthiness. Because all of us here have a number of things that are on our minds and hearts that we want to ask you for. And some of them are needs and many of them perhaps are just wants. And appropriate to ask both, we will. But we do want you to know that we acknowledge your trustworthiness. That if you don't provide for us, we'll know that it's because you love us too much to give us what we ask for. Lord, we know you might say, you might say to us, wait. And if you do, we want to say right now, we're willing to wait. Maybe there's something that's better for us down the road. Lord, would you, would you take our deepest pain right now and would you relieve us of it? Would you take it away? Lord, would you take those that we love the most right now as we watch their pain and we'd ask, would you take it away? Would you heal? Lord, we ask that you would, that you would grant us to be able to ask and know that you're worthy, that you will do whatever is good for us. And we want to trust you for that. We ask this all in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Next week, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and we're going to be dealing with some issues of forgiveness that I think are going to be very important for all, so we'll jump back into that. Keep exploring in this arena of prayer. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.